0: It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Face-Off. Everybody thinks that all these hockey guys get downtime in the middle of July. They're all hanging out north of the border. Oh, we're at the cottage. We're at the lake. <laughs> eh? Or down, uh, down this way. Maybe you had to do the beach i don't know i saw yoey complaining earlier today that he's had a lot to do his neighbors think he's doing nothing rob rossi also covers the penguins for the athletic and joins us today here on fifth avenue Faceoff. we were just talking before we hit record rob this is usually once you clear like the first 10 days of july you're usually kind of in the clear but here we are with the penguins firmly in the thick of the Eric Carlson sweepstakes and apparently one of the final two participants in it, according to many reports alongside the Carolina Hurricanes. So you and your brethren are busy. How are you, my friend?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I uh, can't speak to what the brethren are saying, but um, <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of stuff out there I've I've been told about. Um, some of it makes me giggle. Uh, but yes, as I understood it at the time of uh, <laughs> Us, us doing this uh, magic machine stuff that uh yeah it's it's the penguins and the hurricanes um, and uh, it's i've been trying to caution people that the penguins feel good about where they are but that doesn't mean anything's imminent um, there's a lot of moving pieces to this for for both the penguins the hurricanes and really the sharks and you know ultimately mm-hmm. Chris this is this is going to come down to whether the sharks want to deal with Carlson now um or they want to hold on to him and you know take a chance on uh, um doing it in season there, there's a risk to that uh on um on the Sharks part and i I have a hard time believing they want to take that risk but uh I'd be lying if I told you I felt good about um the Sharks point of view from this.
0: Well, you bring up the Sharks perspective, Uh, you bring up the Penguins and the Hurricanes and what they may have offered or have on the table right now. Not sure whether they're willing to up the ante at all, but let's let's keep it back on the other side of things for just a second. What do you think Eric Carlson's reaction to this is? Um, If he were asked, Eric, you can stay in San Jose to start the season. You can go to Carolina or you can go to Pittsburgh. What do you think would be most attractive to him?
1: Well, as I've, as I've put out there on a, a what, where, where am I on now? Blue Blue sky. Is that it? And uh, I, I, thread and threads, blue sky. Uh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I've been avoiding the Twitter machine as much as I can. I'm just going to go uh, back to
0: AOL instant messenger and see how it works.
1: I, I, look, I I'd be fine. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> um, uh, Eric Carlson's preference is Pittsburgh. Um, okay. Doesn't mean he's going to get his way. He doesn't have uh, control in this um i mean he has some control but no like he doesn't have the control that say if getting malkin or sydney crosby uh, would have mm-hmm. uh, chris Latang where they could be like i'm going there or there only but you know can he influence this absolutely uh the nhl isn't the nba but and by that i mean in terms of players being able to you know, seemingly pick and choose where they want to be traded to and mm-hmm. almost doing the deals themselves. But in this particular case, because of his high cap hit um, and because of the fact that there aren't a lot of teams in contention that are are able to or willing to maneuver their uh, cap situation or um, delve into their prospects or t- pieces from the NHL to make a deal happen, um, you know there's sort of a limited uh limited market for him and from that standpoint i get why the sharks have an interest in um trying to sort of play the penguins and the hurricanes against each other Uh, my understanding is that the trouble with that is the penguins and sharks both or the penguins and hurricanes both know that and so they're not really willing to you know bid against each other to get to get him and we're kind of a I don't want to say stalemate, but we're in kind of a sort of take a step back and sort of um, see where things are situation. So what,
0: what do you think is keeping from San Jose accepting one of these deals at this point? Is this also their side of the negotiation tactic in letting both teams that they know have a serious interest in Carlson sort of sit and sweat a little bit? Or is this very simply straight up, hey, your offers aren't enough. We're going to need more.
1: Probably a little both. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, San Jose, from what I've been told, feels it has more leverage than there is perceived leverage for San Jose from both Pittsburgh and Carolina and around the league. Um, it's, I can tell you that, I don't want to speak for Carolina, but um, the Penguins are operating and they believe the Hurricanes are operating as though the big relief San Jose is going to get here is the cap relief. Mm. And that because of that, you don't have to overpay for this player. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be a dump because it can't be. Neither team can, can make that work. But um, with the Penguins, San Jose knows what the Penguins can give them. Does that mean the Penguins have on the table what San Jose wants? No, I've, I've seen it out there that the Penguins have, uh, you know, a first of all, the Penguins haven't made an offer. Uh, And I know that's nuanced, but they have, they've discussed what a deal could look like. What their offer would look like. Yeah. Right. But they have not sort of made an offer. Uh, I think that's important to know. Uh, It's, it's sort of inside hockey, but you know, it's accurate. Uh, Second part is, you know, I've seen stuff out there um, from people and I'm not, stomping on anybody's reporting i'm just saying it conflicts with mine that you know there's a there's a uh there's been discussions of uh two first round picks protected i i've been told the penguins are just they don't think it will need to in- require two first round picks to okay. make this deal work So, um, so they have to interrupt- also the penguins have to do some other things chris they have to they have to involve a third team okay to to sort of figure out a way how they can make this work so that they can move one player somewhere and get something back from somebody else that San Jose might also want. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and, you know, and I've been told the penguins sort of have a plan a for how to attack this with sort of a um, multiple team swap uh, a plan B that it might involve a buyout of a Mikhail Grandland and sort mm-hmm. of a plan C, which is sort of, If neither one of those works, how can we cobble together something? Um,
0: So, So let me ask you this. What do you think is more, let's prioritize things here as far as tools or resources available to Kyle Dubas in making this deal. One, you mentioned the Grandland buyout. He was very clear when he first came in at the beginning of the offseason. Dubis was. He's not a fan of doing that, but obviously it's a tool at his disposal in the GM's toolbox, so to speak. There are the first-round picks or pick, whatever may be required, draft capital at San Jose May be interested in, or another team may be interested in, depending on how the swap works. And then there is that cap space that you talked about that San Jose is interested in gaining. Right now, I think about five and a half million dollars under the cap in San Jose. Uh, trading Carlson, obviously, especially if they don't have to retain a lot of that salary, is going to open up a whole bunch of more space. Now, I would think, and this is just my amateur thought here. I'm I'm not a, a GM, and I'm certainly not on the inside of the industry, but I would think that this would have to include some sort of salary coming off the books for the penguins. Otherwise you're not making it happen and big salaries, right? You mentioned a, a grandland buyout. I would think Petrie's salary would have to come off the books as well. A because, well, he's a right side defenseman and B well, because he's well over $6 million on a cap hit. Um, is, is it possible to move both of those salaries out in a trade? And I guess, is that what is preferred here for Dubas? In other words, fine, San Jose, you want to unload the salary. Give me the salary. Maybe somebody takes a bit of it in this theoretical three-team dance that we're doing, uh, but I've got to move Grandland and Petrie out because I really don't want to buy it out. Is, is, is that, I guess, the priority here for Dubas is I'd rather c- handle cap hits than have to worry about handling
1: draft picks? Yes. Um, so does that mean he's unwilling Uh, I I wouldn't go that far uh, to say he wouldn't give a draft pick, but it would be protected um, so that if things completely fell off the wagon here in Pittsburgh, you know, he's not giving up a, a, you know, a top eight pick, so to speak. Uh, But think about it this way. Um, He prefers not to do the buyout. He has the option of 72 hours after the arbitration with Drew O'Connor is either awarded or settled. And mm-hmm. that arbitration can't – so that period can't go beyond um, August 7th because his arbitration date is August 4th. Now, they can settle tomorrow, um, but there's not really a reason for the Penguins to settle because they, they, they want to bring O'Connor back. Um, they feel confident they will be able to bring O'Connor back. They feel comfortable in what that number would be even if he goes to arbitration.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That all calculates into this because that gives them a window – to buy out Grandland. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, with Jeff Petrie, it's, it's a little more complicated. He can, um, somewhat control because of his limited, no trade clause where he goes. He wants to be close to Michigan. That is where his home is. So I don't think it's likely you're going to see Jeff Petrie go to say San Jose. You might right. have to get a team that Jeff Petrie's willing to go to. Get a team that's willing to maybe take Mikael Grandland, um, and maybe the Penguins have to sweeten a with a draft pick there. Um, and then the Sharks can, you know, say eat 20% of um, the contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Penguins can maybe send them a prospect. Um, you know, could be P.O. Joseph, could be Ty Smith. Uh, I, I would imagine one of those would be in this. Um, the Penguins don't have a ton of prospects to give. Um, I think they could move on from Owen Pickering as part of this. Um, I say that more so because that wasn't this management team's, um, selection. Um, and he is right now in terms of who is signed to a contract an entry level deal mm-hmm. there, you know, certainly one of their top two assets. Um, and you know why you have to get rid of Petrie. Well, you're not bringing Eric Carlson in here. You're not going to have, you know, Chris Latang at six, one, um, Jeff Petrie at 6.25 and Eric Carlson and whatever his number ends up being on your right side. Right. Um, This whole thing is predicated on Latang and Carlson at sort of first pairing defenseman, second pairing defenseman, both of them on the power play. Um, So because of that, as I, again, as I've tried to sort of caution people, this is a complicated deal. Yeah. Um, I don't mean that it's complicated by the Penguins don't know what they're willing to give up. But because you have San Jose still trying to determine what it wants to absorb of the cap number for Carlson, and because San Jose right now thinks it can do better than maybe just getting something back in terms of that cap relief and maybe a middling prospect, and because you have to find another team and work with Petrie on where he would want to go, there's just a lot of moving parts. What Dubis has done is sort of lay a framework for how he can move these parts. So when people ask me timeline, I say, well, let's just look at what we know, right? We know that there's that 72 hour window after the settlement or the awarding of the arbitration. Mm-hmm. The max that can go to, and I mean, by that, I mean the max that can go to in terms of the Penguins buying out Granland is, you know, Sidney Crosby's birthday. Uh, uh, So maybe this is a real good birthday gift for Sidney Crosby. Happy birthday, Sid, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, so if the Penguins do something sooner, like in the next week or two with O'Connor, I think that tells you that either A, they feel like a deal with Carlson is close and they can afford to do that, or B, they don't think a deal for Carlson is happening and they're moving on.
0: Yeah, one extreme or the other, essentially, yes. if we see an O'Connor move between now and, say, August 4th. Right?
1: Yeah, I would say, like, the end of this month, right? Like, I think as we get to August 1st, maybe a day or two before that, maybe. Uh, so maybe the end of July. I, I expect that's when, if nothing is progressed to that point, we're going to see some real heated stuff. And okay. because of the Penguins and Hurricanes being the only two teams we know to be in this, um what is the what is the urge for carolina to sort of bid against itself right right so the sharks think they have a lot of uh pull here i haven't talked to a lot of people around the league that agree with that another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help
0: Yeah, what what is their advantage in these negotiations over the Penguins? Is it cap relief available? Is it prospects available? Is it willingness to move on? I would think this would be the biggest advantage, willingness to move on from high-end draft capital, like first-round picks or unprotected first-round picks.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, again, I, I I would be guessing as to what the Sharks ultimately want out of this. But mm-hmm. if you look at it from where they're at, right, they're not close to contention. Um, though Carlson's deal was front loaded in terms of actual money, and that's very different from cap space, right? Mm -hmm. Um, they're not paying him as much as they did early in this contract. So from an ownership standpoint, they've already absorbed the biggest cost. Now we're just talking cath mathematics. Um, and, um, I'm shocked that I got that word, uh, those two words out <laughs> without stuttering, but, uh, yay me, um, the, 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 San Jose's biggest advantage over the Penguins is they know the Penguins want this player and that the Penguins want this specific player badly. It's my understanding that Dubis had identified this upon taking the job as this is his big swing. If he's going to really give this group a chance to contend for the cup again and and put them in the best position they can he has assessed that that lane is to get a guy like carlson because of a what he could bring as a power play quarterback while moving with Latang over to the sort of the phil kessel spot if we remember that Mm -hmm. and b you know and i've i've said this chris and i you know i think you've picked on one i'm not sure a lot of people have they also view carlson as real strong offensive production insurance in case of an injury to one of the big three, because mm-hmm. if it's Latang, obviously Carlson can handle those heavy minutes and do a lot of scoring from the back end. If it's Crosby and or Malkin Carlson is such a prolific producer of offense from the defense position that even if a Crosby or Malkin would go down for, you know, two weeks, a month, Carlson's offense could help them withstand that better.
0: So so this is what's interesting to me, and it's a great point. I mean, you don't win three Norrises without having an incredible ability to generate offense from the back end. Um, but what's interesting to me is that we also know what the tradeoff is in relation to that with Carlson, right? And this is a team that has been absolutely torched in the last year or so, the Penguins, by odd man breaks the other way, by – by leaving themselves exposed on the back end, much to the consternation of Mike Sullivan and, of course, fans who basically want to run a future Hall of Fame defenseman out of town every time he pinches in Chris Letang. So where do they reconcile themselves or how I should say do they reconcile themselves with the fact that they're going to have their top two pairings being manned on the right side? by guys that are such offensive first defensemen. Now, it's nice to have Ryan Graves on the side of one of those guys and Marcus Patterson on the side of one of those guys, but do they feel like Graves and or Patterson are enough to make up for the exposure they will have on the other side? Because as much as we all love the idea of Eric Carlson creating offense for this team, that is the, the one fly in the ointment here, is that it does not help a blue line that had some grave, uh, grave flaws in it this past year.
1: Well, I think you know there, there's several answers to that. One, um, Chris Letang, by his own admission, didn't have his best year last year. Um, if you look at Chris Letang last season, compared to his production the previous five seasons, it's very easy to say having a second stroke, the shock of losing his father, um, pretty much emptied his tank. Yeah. Um, and I think the Penguins are betting on that. Secondly... Um Mike Sullivan's system works best when you have a puck capable moving defenseman that can also transition the puck out of the zone quickly. With mm-hmm. Latang and Carlson on the ice 80% of the time if healthy, the Penguins are willing to live with sort of the the other part of that because they feel they would have the puck more. Now, here's the here's the uh you know the the beat reporter and me trying to sort of you know take you into what they're thinking. Look at where they've made the most moves. It's the bottom six. Look at the type of guys they've got. They did not go out there and get guys that are going to score a lot. They got guys that are, you know, in theory, going to be more dependable in their own zone, be able to make plays with the puck quicker and smarter. Um, They've also went out and signed a lot of depth players who are veterans to battle for those spots or come in in case of injury, as opposed to relying on the likes of say Alex Nylander um, or Pustininen uh, and the likes of those type of players who maybe, maybe are a little more careless with a puck. The Penguins believe now you don't have to agree with this, but the Penguins believe a lot of the damage that was done against them last year was primarily because the top two lines felt they had to score almost every time they were on the ice. Right. Because otherwise they were getting nothing from them offensively. But also because the defense was so porous on the third and fourth lines because they were just hemmed in their zone all the time that that's why you saw the cheating of the defensemen, the pinching, exposed so much that the penguins okay for a simpler way of saying that is the penguins felt their top six and their defensemen had to take more chances because they couldn't rely on their bottom six to do anything they've remade that bottom six and added depth to it with the idea that at the very least they won't be hemmed in their zone as much they'll be able to play with the puck more and sort of any scoring they get is beneficial but not necessarily anything other than sort of an icing on the cherry like there you know if they, if they could get a combined 45 goals from their bottom six I think they'd be thrilled yeah but yeah. by counting on that bottom six to be more responsible they feel they'll have in Carlson a guy that can be a difference maker because of what he brings offensively and live with his stakes defensively the other point of that is The Penguins really feel that one of the reasons Carlson was so bad metrically defensively. And look, I didn't have him on my um, ballot for the Norris Trophy because every metric defensively was suggesting this was a guy that just played offense from the back end. Right. Um, And I'm a big believer that as a defenseman, you have to play some defense. They don't feel Carlson can't be effective defensively. They feel like last year the only chance San Jose had to win was for Carlson to do a lot offensively, do everything offensively, and that he wouldn't be as risk, he'll be le- less risk averse he'll be risk averse more in Pittsburgh, I should say.
0: That's interesting. Um, because no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I I think I think it gives some insight, though, into um some insight into why they've been so after this move, because at, at least initially I looked at it and said, why is this such a priority? Why, why, why is stacking up the right side of the blue line such a priority? But you make a good point. If you get a little bit more production from everywhere else outside of the top six, whether it's the bottom six, and I want to get to that in a second, or your top four on defense, particularly Latang and Carlson, then you're spreading your production out. You're not asking for the Crosby and Malkin lines to provide punch every single time they go out on the ice. And th- there, I-, I think there's some some credence to that line of thinking. I wouldn't to- I wouldn't throw up a-, a wall to that line of thinking from the Penguins. But you
1: can you can reason with it, right? And I think yeah. that's where people have to get. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt, Chris, but I think no, one good. thing people have to wrap their head around is this: Kyle Dubas is trying to give. To find a lane or a pathway for the Crosby, Malkin, Latang Penguins to take another run at this, right? And when I look at it, as I've studied it, based off what I've heard and talked to people about, the thinking goes something like this. If they do nothing else this summer, the Penguins feel like they are a playoff contender again. Mm -hmm. And there's a theory that if you get into the playoffs, you have a chance. Hey, we've seen that. The last 10 years we have more often than not had a very surprising finalist at least. Okay. Um, But if you're really going to give them a chance, you have to find a way for how can the Penguins maximize what they have on their roster now. They're not going to win a lot of two to one, three to two hockey games um, often enough to separate themselves from the pack to get into the playoffs comfortably and, and maybe make a run. But if you add Eric Carlson, they're probably going to lose 10 games in horrific ways, like seven to three, but they're probably going to win 25 because they can just boat race a team that isn't adequate enough or coming off a second of back-to-back nights. How are the Penguins built to win? They're built to score, right? Yeah. Um, They're built to possess the puck. They're built to generate some offense, either in production or catalyst from the back end, and then you add this into the mix. Their power play wasn't really a strength. In fact, you could argue it was a weakness. You add Eric Carlson to this, put him at the point. Not only do you get a guy that can bring the puck in by himself, and now you have a couple of those guys on the ice. The Penguins would expect their power play to be 25 to 30 percent in a regular season with Carlson and their players healthy. And they feel like that could be the difference. And then you see, okay, this is how they could make a run. Doesn't mean they will, but Dubas's job is really to put them in the best position roster wise to do that. And then say Sullivan and guys, let's, you know, I've given you what I can. I think that's what they're thinking here. How can they position themselves with their unique scenario to really catch lightning in a bottle again? And they look at Carlson as the guy that maybe is sort of that special ingredient that could, that if everything lined up right, could be the reason.
0: I want to go back to the bottom six because you brought up the idea of revamping the bottom six the way they did and how that helps support the top six, much the same way adding Carlson on the back end would support the top six. You mentioned the number 40-45. It's just a ballpark number, I know. But uh, that many goals from the bottom six. So so, while you threw that number out there, I just, for giggles, um, went and, and ran the math real quick. And if you just take last year's production, for example, from Eller, Achari, and Nieto, you know, the, the the three names that were signed on the back end, you very quickly do get to about 36 goals, I think, between those three alone, Eller, Achari, and Nieto. So that does lend itself to that idea. What do you think the alignment of the bottom six looks like? And how do they solve their Jeff Carter problem too? Because that's, <laughs> that's not one that's easily solved.
1: No, it isn't. Um, I'm of the belief that Carter cannot be as unproductive or bad as he was last year. Um, the truth is he keeps himself in too good a shape. He's too much of a professional to think he's not going to come back and give everything he has this year. Um, he's a proud guy. He knows he wasn't adequate. I would also argue last year he was, he was played out of spot because they had roster deficiencies. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have been the number three center. I put that more on the previous management than I did Mike Sullivan. A lot of people disagree with me of that. A lot of people that have better hockey minds than mine disagree with me than that, but it's, uh, was always my understanding. If Mike Sullivan had better for that third center, he would have done it and either played Carter at wing mm-hmm. where they feel Carter will be more productive as an offensive contributor, occasionally use him as a right side draw, which they do like, um, or bump him down to the spot. He was, which is like a fourth line guy. Also, let's not forget when they, you know, they were lucky last year Crosby and Malkin weren't hurt. Think yeah. about the year before, where Carter would have to often play at second C. One of the beauty of these signings is you can really kind of slot him in as your fourth line right winger right now. And I would argue Carter is a fourth line right wing, isn't a weakness, might not be a strength, but it no, it's no worse than a thing, right? As yeah. opposed to being a negative thing last year. And so that's where you slot him, I think. Um the question for me will be who takes the third and who takes the fourth line center. Yeah, I personally see Eller more as a eventually a fourth line center because I think his skill set at this point, um, and I really like the speed if they go with that on the third line that element. But I also think they've got a fourth and a third line that is so similar that situationally they may have different roles for this team. Whether they need offense, whether yeah. they need to protect the lead whether it's on the second of back-to-back nights, um, whether it's three and four, I think you're going to see some of these new guys sort of switch. I think Mike Sullivan's going to be a little more flexible, is what I'm saying, about the complexion of those third and fourth lines. Whereas, let's face it, the top two lines are set.
0: Yeah, I I, I do like – the one thing I I really like about Eller is that finally you get somebody on the back end with some size – um, who can perhaps play, you, you start talking about a heavy game, you start to sound like Brian Burke, and that's not what I'm implying. <laughs> but, um, you know, a little bit of muscle on the back end. Yeah, I, I look at it as um, Eller is 3C to start, Acharya is 4C. But you, like you said, you can easily interchange them. And to your point, maybe we're talking about Achari on the wing some nights. With Eller or Eller on the fourth, the Chari handling more minutes on a third line. Uh, both of them can kill penalties. Um, that's something that perhaps allows, may, maybe, maybe this all gets back to allowing Brian Russ to focus more on his offensive side of the game and not being out there killing penalties as well.
1: I, I think, think that's a big part of it. I think yeah. they realize they need Brian Russ to be more consistent offensively than he was last year. And at this stage in his career, you know, I think if you go to the playoffs or you know, in a certain important game, you know, Brian Russell, the penalty kill makes sense, but you don't want them doing heavy penalty kill no. throughout the season. You know, the other thing I think is, I think we have to maybe look a little bit at the way the league has evolved and, and change our thinking. We think of things as first, second, third, and fourth. Mm-hmm. I think increasingly because of the flat cap teams have had to sort of pick and choose. If you're a team like the penguins and you're going to have a loaded top six you may not have a clearly definitive third and fourth line. You might have sort of like, you know, as we call it, some of us say it at the 34 lines, which is yeah. there's two lines that are either a fourth, both fourth or both a third. You know, obviously one of them is going to get more minutes, but there's no real distinguishable, you know, for what I'm saying is it's not a third line the way we've seen third lines in the past where it's like you've had Jordan Stahl or Nick Benino, and those those lines have had, you know, the stall line was a real momentum turning hemming them in their own zone momentum gaining you know beat on you line when and, and the benino line was very much a we can score with our third line because we have kessel on it i don't mm-hmm. i don't think you do that anymore because when you're a cap team in a flat cap era if you're going to have six tier a forwards you're not going to have like a middle six that is as right um electric yeah that's a,
0: that's a great point point. And, and you know the one thing I had an eye towards as free agency got started was some more middle six talent but you're right they have still decided to sort of stratify themselves uh, into a top and a bottom we'll see if that works the one thing I want to ask you about before I let you run Rob uh, and all of this conversation has swirled around Eric Carlson The one way this ties back is what I was talking about earlier with the odd man rushes. They hung their goaltending out to dry multiple times last year, whether it was Tristan Jari or Casey DeSmith. It's going to be Tristan Jari and presumably Casey DeSmith again this year. Maybe, maybe not here nor there on the, on the, on the second string goaltender. We know it's going to be Tristan Jari for a long time to come. Most likely, um, what do you think led them to that decision? Was it more confidence in the fact that Jari can be the guy and be healthy more often than not? Or was it a lack of confidence in the rest of what was out there on the goaltending market?
1: Both things can be true. Um, Coaching staff really believes that Jari is better than he showed last year. Um, They are comfortable with him being their goaltender. Kyle Dubas was very clear when he had his introductory news conference that he views the position of goaltender as volatile. Um, I think he leaned, it's my understanding he leaned heavily on the recommendation of Mike Sullivan, Mike Jodo and um, to assess Jari. He had a conversation with Jari. Um, I think he felt more comfortable going with Jari than with a devil. He didn't know, so to speak mm-hmm. why they went five years. That's simpler. It was either, a two-year deal at like six and a half or a five-year deal at sub-five-five. At sub five, five. Mm-hmm. If you're the Penguins, you, you go, I don't care about years four and five because think of it this way. If Tristan Jari is a fringe top 10 goalie, by the time of those final two years, he's steal. either very movable at that number or you're yeah. happy to have him at that number. Yeah. And now that allowed them by getting him that by by saving just that extra million dollars, they were able to deepen their goaltending position, right? And Chris, I think the best thing Kyle Dubas has done this summer is his work on potential forwards 13 through 18 and goalies two through four. Because let's face it, when Jari got hurt, Casey Smith proved last year, I think a quality backup goalie but Mm -hmm. when you get beyond those limits it's it's a he's exposed right i think jari's also not shown that he can play 60 games in this league yet maybe jari's a 50 game goalie maybe the smith is a 25 game goalie and maybe the rest of the games are the um i think what kyle smith has done is he's deepened the system in terms of um proven guys that can play proven roles at goaltender which we all think is the most important position and at the bottom six where we felt like there wasn't enough competition and maybe they didn't have the right guys that could step in those aren't sexy things to do eric carlson is a you know, you know let's face it in the term of this eric Carlson's like the best porn movie on the market right <laughs> you get eric carlson and it's like wow shiny you know exciting big like you know um these other things are, are not, but they're important. And I would argue the Penguins have been done in more during this stretch of not winning in the first round by inefficient bottom six, mm-hmm. inefficient bottom pairing, and inefficient depth at goal. And I think Dubas has addressed that. I could be proven wrong. But yeah. I know he has, he has had a plan to address that. And I find that as someone who's covered this team for two decades, and especially after the last two and a half seasons, I find a, a, a person calling the shots, having a plan that you can point to as a huge step forward, because I tried for the last 18 months to figure out what the plan was from the previous management. Mm-hmm. I never could. The plan seemed to me hope. Right. Hope. And hope isn't a plan. It's a, it's a recipe for failure.
0: Yeah. At the very least, we can get a read on what we think Kyle Dubas wants to do. Great stuff, Rob. I appreciate it, as always, uh, especially at a time that's supposed to be the downtime of the year. You guys are still busy and running around. You gave me a couple extra minutes, and I appreciate you for that. Rob Rossi of The Athletic, go check his stuff out there. And, uh, well, it'll happen sooner rather than later, or we'll all look up and it'll be the first week of August, and we'll instead turn our attention to training camp, I guess, a month out from there. Great stuff, Rob. Thanks again.
1: Thanks, bud.